And before we read our scripture, I just want to refresh your mind and your heart on the vision that God has for us here at Calvary Chapel. So we're a ministry that believes in the Word of God. So not only do we have the Word of God, not only do we believe in the Word of God, but we go through the Word of God. So we don't select scriptures here and there. We believe that if we're going to be mature believers in Christ Jesus, that God is going to speak to us as we go through his word. We love his word. We honor his word. It's the word of God. You say, why the Bible? Why the word of God? Because it says to us at the, in the Bible that God's word is powerful. It's a living word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can go in your life, in your heart, in your mind where no one else can go and can accomplish the purposes God has for us. He's speaking to us. The Holy Spirit's here. His living word is here. This is how we grow up. So we've been sending out every day a Bible study that is coordinated and synchronized along with our Sunday and Wednesday night teaching. It's called Discipleship Living. You can find it in the bulletin. Just go on. You get a study every morning. So as we come together, hopefully the desire prayerfully and I literally pray for every person by name. There's about 195. I pray for our body through our directory as we get together. Pray for other leaders that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm serious about what we're doing. I want to see God's work in our life, in our fellowship, and that we'd make a great, a great impact in the world he's called us to. I'm so glad you're part of that. So we want to look in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to read a few verses, and then we'll continue in our study. So Philippians chapter 2, this morning, as we're considering the title of this message, The Humility of Jesus, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one, uh, being in one accord with one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And we'll pray again. We are grateful, Lord, as we've prayed prior to, during, and even now that, Lord, what you have to say to us, that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit has to say to us. And my prayer, Lord, for myself and each of us is that we would not only be hearers of the Word, but we would desire, by your grace, to be doers of the Word. We invite you, transform our minds and our hearts that our lives would bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. On Wednesday night, we had the blessing of going through Philippians chapter 1 and today, this morning, in chapter 2. But as we looked at the verses in chapter 2 and in verse 1 that we just read, the word, therefore, is there. Now, you'll notice also in the bulletin that you have, if you'd like, there's a sheet there. So you're going to have to do a little bit of work on your own. But if you'd like to write the first point, and that would be joyful prayer. What we want to talk about this morning is Philippians Philippians is an epistle, and it has four chapters. So if your Bible has more than four chapters, talk to us afterwards. Four chapters. And the theme of Philippians is joy. Now, for just a minute, let's think about this. Paul, the apostle, through the Holy Spirit, is writing this epistle. Let's give just a brief overview. What, 
And where is this church, Philippi? How did it come into existence? Great question. Paul was on a missionary journey, and he had a strong desire to continue planting churches and moving northward. But there was a visitation by the Holy Spirit that directed Paul. There was what was called the Macedonian call. There was a call to Paul in a dreamlike experience to actually go over here to this area. And the Spirit of God led him to this area. And as he arrived in this area, there was not a synagogue in place, which would mean there was probably not 10 uh, Jewish men there to have a synagogue. But what he saw as he arrived is that there were some women that believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they were singing praises down by the river. And Paul went there and became acquainted with them. One of the ladies' name was Lydia. Again, this is out of Acts chapter 16, how this church began. So he's writing from a prison in Rome back to this church at Philippi. So when this church was started in Philippi, as he was presenting the gospel, these women received the gospel. They had a heart for God. They needed to know how to be saved, how to have a relationship with the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they received that gospel message. They were baptized. And the work of preaching the gospel was underway in their community and in their area. And God was moving greatly. As a matter of fact, this other woman was coming to them. She was demonically possessed. And the uh, demonic spirit was saying things about Paul which were true. But we do not need the demonic world to affirm our walk and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul, in the name of Jesus, dealt with that demonic force. And that woman was delivered from demonic possession. And she became then possessed by Jesus Christ as a born-again believer, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when that happened, those who owned her, the people who owned her financially, and what she would bring monetarily to them through the occultic world, were quite upset. And an uproar began, which meant Paul and Silas were physically under attack, and they were taken to prison, stripped and beaten, and put into stocks in prison. That means that their feet were, or their legs were spread out, and their feet were put in those stocks in Philippi, in prison, for preaching the gospel. At midnight, Paul and Silas in the prison were singing praises to God. And in the midst of this worshipful time, the presence of God through an earthquake caused them to be free in the prison. And the prison guard's life was now up for grabs. He would be killed if the prisoners were out. He was going to commit suicide, and they said, stop it, don't do that. We're here. He says, what must I do to be saved? He gets saved. He takes Paul and Silas back to their home, and they wash him and clean the wounds. His family gets saved. They get baptized. They're followers of Jesus. Persecution continues. Paul makes a, a final declaration of his faith in the Lord to the officials there because he was a Roman citizen, and what they did was illegal. Paul took advantage very wisely of the opportunity of bringing that gospel message to the leadership there, but they needed to move upon on their way, which I believe they went to Thessalonica. So Paul, writing Philippians, a book about joy, is back in prison. And what we see here, point number one, and it's referring back to chapter one. There's three points out of chapter one and then three out of chapter two this morning as we're looking at the humility of Jesus. First point is prayer, joyful prayer. Everything's going to be joyful. And you think, how could somebody 
be joyful in prayer. I think praying is pretty awesome, Paul. You're able to do that. But joyfully praying, what's your secret? I mean, what's so joyful about being in Rome? Nero is the leader. Nero is destroying Christians. He's burning them at the stakes. He's brutal. And Paul's next in line under that leadership. And what he's doing in this prison in Rome, as the Holy Spirit is blessing him to write this book, which we have the epistle Philemon's to the church in Philippi. If you look in chapter 1 and verse 6, this totally blessed me. Paul says, as he's praying, again, joyful prayer, he's praying with joy. You'll notice that in verse 4, praying with joy. He's thanking God for their fellowship. But notice the nugget in chapter 1, verse 6. He's saying, being confident of this very thing, that he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the perspective we need to have. That right there is the perspective we need to have every day. Do you not love the worship song, He Who Began a Good Work in You is Faithful Completed? That was one of the theme songs on some of our mission trips as well. It's a wonderful verse that Paul is communicating to us. The Lord is saying, look, our whole Christian experience should be one of joy. And you say, wait a minute, Pastor. You don't know my life situation. And I agree. And I would say that for most of us, our life situations deal with intensity and it's sometimes in greater amounts than others. Now, here's an important truth. God has not called us as Christians to say, you know what? Hand to the plow. We're just going to get through this Christian life. I mean, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm going to stay a Christian. I'm just going to do what God has for me to do. Hand to the plow, straight ahead. Let's go. I don't believe that is of the Lord. I mean, nice try. Good diligence. Thoughtful thinking. But there's no joy. And there's no witness. And there's no testimony. If there's no joy, then there's no power of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we go through life, eventually we learn that truly I have been holding the plow. But you'll realize that he has been pulling the plow the whole time. He's given me the privilege to hold on. And he, through his power, is leading us in the direction that we should go. And we must be confident of this very thing, that Jesus Christ began that work. Let's have another illustration. Let's let's bring it in, because if we can get this, it will help us the rest of our days on earth. I'm that convinced, because according to that verse, I take it to heart. Think of your life. What are some highlights in your life? Well, certainly being married to Pam over 33 years ago is one of the top highlights. You say, isn't it the top? Not quite, but close, but close. And then having three daughters, and having two son-in-laws, and having five grandchildren, Those are all way at the top. Well, what is the very top? Listen, at the very top, separate from all the rest, at the very top, the greatest experience of joy in my life was receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in 1978 in Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, for some, there isn't a specific date. You you hear me say that, and you say, I wish I had a specific date. You maybe grew up you know, with that spiritual Christian influence in the home, and you've been walking with the Lord. But I would believe even in such a situation that as you reflect back, there were certain earmark, landmark times in your life that you knew the presence of God and the power of God and the love of God more strongly than at any other time. Whatever it is, what I'm saying to you is that the joy of my salvation is the greatest joy ever in my life. That relationship with Jesus Christ. 
This book is about joy. I need that template in my mind. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So when we're looking at this, he who began this good work, prayerful joy, we're realizing that's it. But notice, before we go to point two, again, joyful prayer. Notice this. As you go down in chapter one, what just is a great blessing in verse seven of chapter one, Paul says, I have you in my heart. Here he is, again, in Rome, in prison, Nero, death pending, and he's saying, I have been thinking about you in Philippi. I've been wondering what's going on. I have a message. It's a message from God, not about my life, not about my suffering, not about my difficulty, not about my pending death. It's about you. You see, you're in my heart. I love you. I think about you all the time. I care about you. As I'm praying and the Spirit's leading, he wants to encourage you that God began that work, that day of salvation, the joy of the saving relationship with Jesus. He says, be confident. Because Paul can say, look, I'm in prison and it has never been more sweeter. My time with Jesus has never been greater than right now. I'm confident. I mean, God is working. So when we look here and see, a church is where we see God knit our hearts together. In other words, the question is, Pastor, I don't feel that experience. I don't feel like I have you in my heart or anybody else. Then I would say that something needs to change. I would say that to have your spouse in your heart would be essential. To have your children in your heart would be essential. And you say, well, you know something? Actually, as you talk about that, you know what? I I think I do have them in my heart. Well, good for you. You're on the way. But why do you have them? Because you spend time with them. Because they're there. You may not be there emotionally, but you're there. The church, us, brothers and sisters, here's the greatest challenge today. It's time. You don't want to give it up. You want to own it. You want to control it. And God is saying, if you want this rich, joyful experience to become all that God has for you, you must spend time with your church family, and with the body of Christ. Because as you spend time, your heart becomes woven together in this great love. Paul speaks about it as being the partakers of the grace later in verse 7. In verse 8, it's so strong that he greatly longs for them. Notice in verse 9, he's saying, in jail, in prison, I'm praying, what? That your love would abound. And notice verse 10, he says, and that you would approve that the things would be excellent. In other words, Paul says, I want you to experience Excellent in your walk with the Lord. Excellence, not mediocrity. Listen, not mediocrity. In other words, half-heartedness. And this is, I believe, where Paul, and through the Spirit, is saying to us as a body of believers, God has great things. He started them. He wants to complete them. Your salvation is complete, but the work that God has purposefully in mind for you to accomplish and our fellowship to accomplish is going to be accomplished by being in love with Jesus, and loving one another in such a way that you would inspire, encourage, train, and come alongside others to help them excel all the more. Every time that one of our daughters were born, so we have three daughters, but through those pregnancies of of nine months, that is something. I just say I'm thankful for moms. Great job. But I was jealous in some ways of knowing that when each one of our daughters were born, it's like to me in my thinking, my mom, uh, my mom, <laughs> my wife, my wife had a nine-month head start on just this sense of closeness with the girls. 
So I don't see it as popular now, but there was these front packs. And you just put those little ones in that front pack and ties around. And I love that. I just put them in. You got these little heads sticking out. You know, they're just, it's just as soon as you could, because you can hold them that way. And it was just like walking, and especially when they're crying and, and they can't go to sleep. To me, and that was it. And you finally get them asleep. And then it's like, how do you get them out? How do you do that? I would just kind of lay down like this and try to slip them out. You know, take her, take her, take her. They're finally asleep. You know, we might get a whole 15 minutes of quiet here. But in that whole experience, in that whole experience I demonstrated, um, how much do you really care for one another in that capacity as brothers and sisters? How much? Because that's, that's where the, the real work takes place. Now, the second point, not only joyful prayer, the first one, but in a sense, there's a joyful problem. And you say, are you kidding? Problems can be joyful? We know James says, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. I shared this before. I was driving um, in, uh, let's see, it was on, this was years ago on Grover. And it was when the students were going to school, and I was looking in my rearview mirror, and I said, I'm going to get hit from behind, because he's just talking, and it really wasn't cell phone time at that time, that's how long ago it was, so just talking, but I'm looking, I'm going to get hit, and boom, got hit from behind, and you know, got out, and, and, and it was nice, and it was okay, no big, necessary big damage, it was, it was okay, but after that, the Lord said, do you consider that joyful? I said, no, I consider it just an interruption, and he goes, okay, so you, in a sense, this is my conversation with the Lord, so in a sense, you haven't really learned anything on that, probably not. So get this, I was in a drive through coffee place. It was like about two months later. And I'd been thinking about that. And as a matter of fact, I started thinking about that scripture. Consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. I was just memorizing that. And someone hit me from behind in the drive through thing when I'm saying that verse. And I had like a track, which is like a Christian gospel testimony. I got out and went over. And they wrote down the window, go, you okay? I just want to make sure you're okay. She goes, I hate you. I know. But are you okay? I just want to give you a little message from the Lord. I'm okay back there. The car's fine. But just want to let you know, I mean, it's, it's okay. She goes, you're nuts. But anyways, <laughs> consider it all joy. So when we look at this second point of joyful problems, the little nugget that we have right here is this. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. Again, picking through what we talked on Wednesday. And then we'll get to chapter 2. But stay with me. Look at verse 14. Brethren, in the Lord, being confident of my chains... I'm much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is chained. So that's the problem. He's literally in chains. And the perception that people have is this. Hey, did you hear about Paul? No, what's going on with Paul? I mean, he's everywhere. What's happening? He's in prison. Well, that doesn't seem like a big thing. He spends a lot of time there. No, he's in Rome. He's chained. Nero's in charge. Oh, man. You're kidding me? Paul's in Rome in prison. You know, the gospel had a good run. I mean, there's just good things that were happening. I mean, the show's going to shut down. I mean, it's pretty much over. Paul the evangelist bringing gospel to the world in prison, Nero. That sounds really sad. And Paul's going, what? You don't get it. I'm chained, but the gospel's not chained. As a matter of fact, those that are chained to me in a rotation, they're hearing the gospel all the time. The guards, which would be the elite of Rome, the special forces of Rome. They're hearing the gospel and we'll learn as we go through this that they're getting saved and the gospel is going into the palace by way of these saved guards. And then other brothers and sisters that know that Paul's in prison and he could receive visitors 
as they're coming, in a sense, outside, probably sympathetic. What are you going to say to Paul? I don't know. What should we say? What do you say to somebody that's in a Roman prison? I don't know. I feel bad. I mean, he's going to die. Nero, let's just go in. Okay. Paul, hey, guys, what are you doing? Paul, I mean, you're chained. Nero, yeah? But the gospel's not chained. These guys are getting saved. I've been giving the gospel message out. So everybody coming to him is leaving confident and bold, and it's just like, God is for us. Who can be against us? There's this sense of life, this sense of anticipation, this sense of faith in the Lord. Now, let me bring an application because realistically, I don't think that any of us are really chained. And if you are, then come see me afterwards, okay? But the, the, in a physical way, the chains here that we can have as an application is this. The world wants to chain you emotionally. The world wants to own you and chain you emotionally. Other people want to do that. They want to restrict you, or they want to own you, or they want to dominate you, or they want to uh, manipulate you. They want, you. they want to chain you in many ways. They want to hinder you. Even in a workplace, you can have an employer that, in a sense, you feel chained. You don't feel an opportunity, or there's competition in the workplace, and, and you just feel restricted. I believe that the Lord, through his Holy Spirit, will break those chains, those, aren't, those chains aren't appropriate. They're not right. And we need to see through the Lord and through the power of his Holy Spirit to be able to be free from those entanglements. And in a ministry, it's the same way. You can have people that, that come and there's a blessing, but people want to control things. They want to lead things in a way that it's not the Spirit of God leading. Now, there's various ministries that have different styles and emphasis in their ministries, Christian ministries, and that's just the way it is. It's okay. For us personally, we do not have what's called a church membership role. If you attend here as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your home church, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you're a part of the body of Christ. So we're not asking you to sign anything. We're not obligating you financially. We're asking you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we're asking you to open your heart up and follow the leading of the Lord Jesus Christ. He owns you, not us. We're a family. So just like in your family, we don't create documents for our children. We relate to them. We build a relationship. We have fellowship with them. We grow in respect for one another. We encourage one another in the giftedness that God has for, for them and the uniqueness that they have. And that's the heart of our ministry and it's the heart of our fellowship. So at times when people come in and they want to control me or dictate or do those things, look, we're here to serve Jesus Christ. We're here to follow him. There's not those kind of opportunities. And you don't really realize the intent, as Paul would tell us here, and the problems that he's facing until time goes on. But what a great blessing to be able to see that the Lord has set us free. Now the third thing, so joyful prayer joyful problem, and joyful purpose, all from chapter 1. What is that purpose? Down in verse 21, notice, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what's being said? Paul's in prison, and he says, look, this is a great time. I want to encourage you in the joy of the Lord. No better place to do that. Not on the sand of the Mediterranean Sea, but in jail in Rome. I'm thinking about you. You're in my heart. I'm so encouraged about the things that I hear, and I want you to be encouraged in the Lord. First and foremost, that God has a purpose for your life. So back in Ephesians 2, it says, We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
He's prepared beforehand that we walk in them. So he's saying the one that began this work, it was a work that began by the Spirit in Galatians. He says, I want you to continue that work by the Holy Spirit of God in Galatians. And he's telling us that God's going to see it through. God will see it through. In other words, be confident. God will take you through it. He'll see you through. And in the process, be joyful because God's doing a work in our lives. So we're going to face problems and we're going to feel hampered or hindered or chained in some sort of way. But the freedom and the liberty we have through the Spirit of God and the Word of God keeps us going. So then this purpose that we just spoke about in verse 21, Paul is saying, here it is for my life. I'm going to live for Christ. Now, if I die, it's a good thing. I'm going to go be with Jesus. So we know over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he speaks about to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He tells us that. But back here, what he's saying is that his whole purpose in life is this. Verse 19, he's praying, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he is for the Lord's purposes. Now, he's saying, if I go, obviously, it'd be great to be in the presence of the Lord. Paul had an opportunity to actually move up into heaven. Paul saw the things of heaven, it tells us in Corinthians, but he says, I can't communicate any of the things that I saw. Therefore, a little side note. When various books and speakers and things come through wanting to testify of things in heaven, I would be rather cautious. Now, I don't deny that some people would have a certain experience, but I am not so certain that that experience is to be marketed and communicated. Paul, the apostle, said, what I had and what God gave to me in that experience was to help me in my work and my calling. So in that realm, wait, when you get there, you'll be blessed. That's what Paul is saying. But to live is Christ, to die is gain. What he's saying, if I am going to stay here, notice down in verse 25, he says, if I'm going to stay here, it's all for you. I want to see you grow. I want to see the progress, and I want to see joy of your faith. Verse 26, I want to see you rejoicing, and I want to see experience the abundance that there is in Jesus Christ. In verses 27 through 30, he's speaking and he's saying, look, your conduct has to coordinate with your conversion. In other words, brothers and sisters, don't tell one story about being a believer in Jesus Christ and then live a different story, okay? Those testimonies must match. And I communicated yesterday, I don't know when and where people thought that their Christian liberty was more important than their Christian testimony. It's not. Our liberty is for our testimony. You got that? Our liberty regarding our indulgences in this world, our liberty is not to sanctify our carnal indulgences. Our liberty is to be the greatest servants on earth for Jesus Christ and to give him the testimony and the glory that he deserves. That's exciting, thinking about that. Well, when we see that Paul had this particular purpose, what a blessing that that is. And in chapter 2 that we read the beginning, that f- those first four verses, I would have to say that that is all about joyful humility. And the Lord is saying, as servants of the Lord, if we get this, there's this other work of humility that has to work within our lives. And that humility is key for whatever's going ahead. In other words, as a believer with responsibilities, if there's not Christ-like humility, then the Lord's not going to be glorified. I have used this illustration so many times, but it just was key in my life. 
before entering in the ministry in 1985, I was in sales, had the opportunity to work in probably a dozen different states in Western Canada. I loved sales, worked in sales, enjoyed it greatly. It was in the computer industry in 1980 and, and through 85, and it was, it was very fun, great time before any laptop, before any standalone unit. Yes. <laughs> I didn't have quarters. I had dimes to make phone calls, okay? But there was a specific account as we moved back to Seattle, and they just made the Columbia Centers, the big, tall buildings, and Seafirst uh, was the bank, and then Bank of America. But anyways, I was so excited about an opportunity. I'd been working on that particular account, and uh, I realized just the value of that account. And as a salesperson, a lot of accounts, you've got to work for a long time and just try to get in. And finally, certainly, there was going to be this order coming. I was so excited about it. So definitely the blue suit, red tie, white shirt. And it wasn't, this has been, had been working it, and I just knew it was, was going to happen today. And you have to take up two different elevators to get up to the floor. And then through the whole meeting, and as he's talking, I just, you know, because it's a done deal. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> commission. I think, you know, this, this is the value of this thing. And I was thinking, you know, entirely very selfishly. And I was also thinking about just the recognition back at the office and just the other things that promote me. I was happy about it. So once it's all closed, once everything was done, done deal, it's time to leave. I shake hands, and I pick up my briefcase, and my pants rip all the way in the back, <laughs> totally in the back. And it was at, it was at that point, <laughs> believe me, it, everyone knew, okay? So it, wasn't, it was not a quiet situation. So at this moment, I mean, I probably was redder than I am right now, but I... You know, they just kind of looked, and I looked, and then there was like this little voice of the Lord, and it was something like, so how does it feel now, big shot? <laughs> it was just the Lord dealing with me immediately, and knowing that I've got to go back down all the way to the street and walk. With, I mean, just the whole scenario coming before me, and it was just like the Lord, and he says, I've got a scripture for you. God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. He says, I kind of like that verse, but it's meaning more to me right now, Lord. And so when we're, when we're looking at this work of humility, it's essential. So Paul is saying, look, we're a church, we're a team, we're a body, we're going to work together, we're going to serve God, we love God, we're going to have each other in, in our hearts for one another. We're not, in a sense, you know, dominating anybody's life. The Spirit of God is dominating our life. We're moving ahead, we're praying. We're going to face problems, and we're going to see the grace of God, the Word of God, more powerful than those. We're going to make decisions to live for Christ and not for ourselves. We know that it's all taken care of. When we're dying, we're in His presence. Therefore, our conduct is going to be worthy of the gospel. We're going to stand fast in one spirit. We're going to strive for the unity. We're going to experience suffering, but we're going to be humble towards one another. And it's not about me. It's about you. It's about Jesus. That's what it's about. Are you with me? So the next little section right here is obedience, and the obedience refers to Jesus, joyful obedience. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore... Verse 9, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
This little section right here in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, is solid scripture for who Jesus Christ is. Many times people will say to you, I don't think that Jesus is God. Jesus never said he was God. That's a scriptural lie. That's not true. He does claim to be God because that's why he's put on the cross, because he claims to be God. But he was always God, and he was always man, fully God. So in the scripture here, just to understand, even though the name Son of God, Son of Man, apply to Jesus, he's fully God. He's fully God at all time. Always God. So he was always God in heaven. Of course, he's eternal. But when Jesus Christ, the eternal God, came to earth, he became the Son of God. He became the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is essential, non-negotiable in terms of our Christian doctrine. So always God, came to earth, God-man, Jesus Christ. Now, died, buried, rose again in heaven. He's also the God-man. He's right there. I mean, the humility continues when you see he left the glory and became like us so that he could accomplish that spiritual work by dying on the cross, a perfect sacrifice for us. But he returned to that glory as the God-man. Stephen standing, Jesus uh, being uh, martyred, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God was evident right there towards us that we can see that. Now notice 9, 10, and 11. I've said this before, and it's going to sound like heresy, but it's not. Stay with me. I like it. All roads, all roads lead to God. Now, you know that doesn't sound right, right? All roads lead to God. It doesn't sound right. But in fact, if you think about it, all roads do lead to God, but they don't lead past God. Because in our scripture right here, 9, 10, and 11, every knee, so it doesn't matter. So in the whole heavenly angelic realm, the whole earthly realm, and the whole under the earth hellish realm, in these realms of human and spiritual beings, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is God. Everyone is going to face God. I don't care what road you're on, you're going to come face to face with the one and only Jesus Christ, Savior of the world. You follow me? This is a truth. But not all roads lead past. Only those who have accepted Jesus Christ move in to that heavenly realm. Well done, good and faithful servant. I prepared a place for you, and where I am, there you will be also. But for those who have denied and rejected Christ will spend eternity in hell. Eternity. It's not annihilation. It's an eternal existence. You know what I think makes hell so hellish? And it's just from a human point of view. I could be absolutely wrong. But to know that you have the opportunity to accept Christ, to know that you rejected the love of Christ for all eternity, that knowledge of knowing that is torment in and of itself. So we can be very confident of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, right now, there's extreme battles going on because a holy book for the Islams, Islamic people, the Quran, was burned. And, and that creates quite a response from them. This is, this is our Holy Bible that we have. But this Holy Bible communicates a holy person named Jesus Christ. And these words are written on our hearts. 
And we're in love with the God of this book. So we follow the God of this book. Our affections, our love, our commitment is for our God. I'm not saying be disrespectful for anything, but just think through what's going on. It's our God. We love him. We follow him. We serve him. He's written his word in my heart. He won't leave me or forsake me. He leads me in the way of righteousness. My relationship to him, not to this text, my relation is to him, to Jesus Christ. Amen? One little nugget. Thanks. The last part is joyful service. What does that mean? Well, notice if, in fact, we're humble and we look to Jesus always as the example of humility, God in human flesh, he is our Savior and God, we're accountable to him, we're going to confess him every day, Lord, our Savior. But look at verse 12, and it says, and it could be confusing if you don't grab this, but therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, now much more in my absence, look at this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But notice, there's not a period there. We keep reading, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So essential. Without verse 13, it would almost seem like the Bible is promoting a works righteousness. That's wrong. And that would lend to heresy. What we see is that God did the work. It was in Ephesians 2. We're his workmanship. He did the work on the cross. We responded to that work. Paul is saying in prison, listen, the work that God accomplished on the cross for your salvation, God's working in your life right now, not for salvation, but because you are saved. So from salvation, God has a work for you to do. And so when you're looking at this, I want to be participating in the work that God has. What do I need to do? Settle down. What do I need to do? Settle down. Look to the Lord. How? Well, because God is at work. He has a will and a purpose for you, and it's for his good pleasure. And then in verse 14, the work that he wants us to do is without complaining and disputing. Verse 15, that you could become blameless and harmless children without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation amongst whom you shine as lights in the world. You'd like this on uh, Friday. I had an appointment to meet one of the brothers downtown for an important meeting he had and just to be there to encourage him. Had an opportunity to be in a coffee shop and I'm doing daily devotional, so it's like, okay, I've got this time, I'm going to do this. But these two other brothers came in, Hispanic brothers, about 40 years old or so, and they needed to use some space there. No problem, take that space, but I'm zoning here, earphones in, but fairly aware of what's going on. So, um, <laughs> so anyways, I could tell that they got frustrated. And they were on the phone, and they set the phone down. I took this out. I says, do you need some help? He goes, are you a lawyer? Hmm. Do you need one? No. <laughs> I'm all things to all people. Anyways, I says, <laughs> I says, no, I'm actually a pastor, but I can tell that you're frustrated. And what had happened is, is that he, and, you know, he's just working hard, trying to get established. They're, they're at the, living at the mission, but trying to get established. Just good guys. I mean, I'd hire him if I had a job, just good guys. But they, through an online deal, signed into this, and that, therefore they get a check. And this might be heads up if you're not aware of this. So you get a check in the mail, you cash that check, you give a portion of it back to someone, you keep a little bit for yourself. All those checks will go in and will be processed. They look legitimate and clear, unless a bank is really uh, aware of a scammy type of a thing. What's going to happen is those people, the fraudulent ones that sent you that check, you cashed it and sent them back money, they're going to get their money and you're not, and you're going to be liable for that. Also, just heads up, because we have people off of the internet buying things, and someone sends you a check for something they bought, and they go, oh, I'm sorry, I sent it $50, $100, $200, too much. It's a scam. They say, well, just keep it, cash it, and send me back that extra money or whatever. 
it's a scam, okay? So I said, I'm so sorry. I said, would you like me to go to the bank with you and talk to the manager? You do that? <laughs> Basically, 25 minutes, giddy up, let's go. Okay, and so for him, to have somebody that would just come and sit with him, he, he represented himself very fine and very clear, did a great job. But to kind of walk it all through and to try to bring some sort of helpful next step resolution was great. Why? Because, Brent, brothers and sisters, when you go through the scriptures and you're reading these things, are you going to do anything with what we're learning? I mean, I could just be the same as you. I mean, do I really have time for this? Well, if God brings it my way, then he'll make the time, okay? And he did. He made everything work out right. Why? Because follow with me, and in verse 16, again, in the 15, we want to shine his lights. Well, 16, and by the way, in with the manager just saying, as a pastor and going through and realizing there's going to be some money that has to be made up here, but we can trust Jesus for that money to come, can't we? I mean, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. You're, you're trying to do the right thing. God knows that. God will help you. He'll do a miraculous thing for you. You can be confident of that. Amen? So, verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice. In other words, I'm being poured out. I'm not looking for you. I'm pouring out. We're pouring out on one another. And then verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. So there's two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Look at verse 19. Timothy, why is he just, what is it about him? Well, look at verse 20, because there's no one like-minded, because he sincerely cares for your state. Look at 21. Everyone else seeks their own, which are not of Christ. But look at 22. He's got proven character. I mean, he's like a spiritual son to me. He served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once to you. I trust in verse 24 in the Lord that I myself may come shortly. So we look at Timothy, and Timothy was this man that was discipled by Paul and was like-minded. Look at, in our ministry, listen. In our ministry, listen now, this is important. And don't misunderstand me. I don't want to be attached to you. I want our lives to have the sense of being woven together in love. Definitely woven together in love. But if you're looking to attach yourself to me, I'm going to say, I want you to attach yourself to Jesus. I want you to be attached to Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you down with the type of attachment you're looking for. I'm not worthy, but he is. So graciously and helpfully trying to help people attach themselves to Jesus and in a marriage relationship, there's an attachment that takes place between the spouses. For us, there is a fabric that is woven of love that we have. And then therefore, when someone gets upset, and without just saying, hey, let's work this through, they storm out or leave, it tears that fabric. It tears the fabric of the body of Christ. It sets in motion things that in a sense, it seems like you're going backwards. It's difficult. It's heartache. He's speaking about that. There's other people that come into a fellowship. They're not a pastor or necessarily a leader, but they have visibility. But they do want you to attach themselves to them. They do. Because there's going to be a point later on, all those that are attached to them, they're going to pull you to themselves. Now they've got a little audience. They've got their little group. So whatever opinion they have or whatever thing that's going on, you're going to be that little group. Don't do that. Attach yourself in that way to Jesus our relationships are to be healthy. They're like a fabric and a foundation that we build upon Christ. 
The last one is Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. What is it about him? You've got to love verse 25. My brother, my worker, my fellow soldier. In other words, anybody that feels called to the ministry in this kind of capacity as a pastor or leader, if you're not willing to have, you're not on the clock. It's all for the Lord. And if, you, if you're looking for this capacity and your mindset is 40 hours or 50 hours, God's not calling you, I can tell you that. You just need to know that. You need to know that, that what it takes what God's calling as that type of a worker, just so that nobody's disappointed in that. In other words, you're all working 40 or 50 hours. You're putting in the time. If a pastor's not willing to match that, and, and then you volunteer, so if a pastor doesn't understand that and is willing to do the same thing, what's up with that? In other words, as a pastor, you're going to work less and serve less than the people you're serving? Uh-uh. You can't. I mean, this is what God's called us. It's a calling. And you have to understand that and to understand how that really works within a family and the dynamic of it. And then be blessed to whatever capacity that God has called you. That's a better place to be. So anyways, Epaphroditus is sick. He's going to die. They're praying. He gets better. They're rejoicing. Verse 29, receive him therefore gladly and hold such men in esteem. In other words, Paul is saying, look, there's men, and later there'll be women, but he's bringing men to you Hold them in esteem. Let's stand up, and we're going to close in a prayer right now. Let's stand up. Father, we thank you. This was, I know, <laughs> a big meal today, but we thank you, Lord, for it. I ask, Lord, that we would just grasp what it is to walk with you, to experience the joy of Jesus. Thank you for the communion we've had. If there's any this morning, as we went through that scripture about nobody's off the hook, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, you will spend eternity in hell. That's what the word says. You do not pass Jesus into heaven based on your good works or your opinion. We go to heaven based on Jesus Christ and his work for us, the gift of eternal life. So right now in your heart, if you need to make things right with God, a prayer like this might be helpful. Lord Jesus, I ask for your forgiveness. Your word and who you are is more real to me right now than it's ever been. I admit I have sinned and I do sin, and I need your forgiveness for my sin. Please forgive me. Lord, I welcome you into my life. I want to follow you and live for you. Help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.